0: Good morning, friends. My name is Alita, and I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends Church. And I know if you've been here over the last few weeks, you've been hearing um, us really reaching out and saying uh, that we need a little bit of help, extra help this year. And. Um, you have totally responded, and it's made a huge difference. So thank you, thank you. We, we've we gotten about $14,000 in, and we still do need a little bit more work to go. Um, we really want to start the new year on a really solid, um, balanced budget. So thank you. Um, you know, myself, we had a bit of a... Um, uh, topsy-turvy year in my family. Both my husband and I changed careers, and we weren't sure how that would go, and we looked into uh, our savings and said, hey, you know what, we, we've done okay here, and we can help you out. So I encourage you to do the same and look into what you can give. We have the black box for donations at the back, and we also have the app, the spiritual giving app on your phone, and we have all um, online as well. So three ways to give. Um, We are now in full swing with our um, Christmas hamper program. And so you might have noticed when you walked in this morning the Christmas tree out front and there's some envelopes on there with some families who are in need and we'd really like to give them A really great Christmas and so if you can help out have a look in one of the envelopes and again there's information online where you can find out about what is needed and uh, join us to make sure that these families have a great Christmas.
1: Thank you Alita. Good morning everyone. Okay quiet crowd all right that's okay that's okay. It's good to see everyone glad you're here. Let me just get set up here. Um, So I'm not a huge Survivor show fan. Are are there many Survivor show fans out there? Uh, How many many really enjoyed it when it first came on the scene? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Richard Hatch, they had all these villains on that show. Man, that was must-see TV, wasn't it? For those that aren't familiar with the show... It's a reality TV show. Uh, they take a group of strangers, drop them in this isolated location, usually at some tropical island, where they have to provide food and fire and shelter for themselves. They got to figure out how to survive against the elements, but also a kind of a a growing or increasingly more hostile tribe of you know people that you know they're competing against. Slowly, the contestants are eliminated from the game, and and they're eliminated by being voted off the island by their own tribe. Two started off as two teams, and they war against each other. The weaker team goes to tribal council. They get in there, and then the politicking starts. Everyone's kind of trying to protect their own skin. Inevitably, almost every show, someone is making a boneheaded move. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're pissing someone off. They're getting all... Uh, You know, they're trying to be smart, whatever, and all of a sudden there's a few other tribe members that start talking about that person behind their backs. Or someone is just so dominant that now the whole tribe feels threatened by them, right? Like there's a number of different ways you can screw yourself over. You know, you you can't be too strong, you can't be too weak. But anyways, at the end of the show, Tribal Council, there's host Jeff Probst He's poking the bear, going, all right, so what do you think of him? And he did this. What do you guys think? Anyways, the stuff starts happening, and usually the person who is getting voted off the island gets blindsided by things that everyone's saying. And it's like, wait, what? Wait, hold on. But by that point, it's too late. The tribal council has spoken. And Jeff Probst goes and takes that cover and puts it over the flame and says, Joe, you've been voted off the island. Pack your bags. You've got to leave. It's just a reality TV show. I mean, it was pretty fun watching. But if you think about it, this kind of thing is happening all the time, isn't it? In everyday life. (laughs) Absolutely it is. I remember a woman telling me how after a divorce, she she was just really going through it. She would get together with her friends and, I don't know, perhaps maybe just one too many sad stories or, you know, kind of monopolizing the conversation. Her friends just decided, you know what, she's raining on the parade. She's a wet blanket. They stopped inviting her out. She said, all of a sudden, like within a month, they just ghosted me. I was never invited out again by them. I remember one guy telling me he was 15 when, and going through a really, admittedly, a really rough patch. But he remembers the night he came home and his dad was waiting for him. His dad looked him in the eyes and said, you've created way too much chaos in this family you are the problem. Our family is going through so much. You're the reason. You need to leave. Boot him out of the house. It happens in work culture. You know, someone speaks up against something. Maybe there's a personality clash. Maybe a couple people vying for the same opportunity. And then the closed-door meetings start happening, the little memos, the emails, the politicking goes on. Before you know it, someone's been conveniently transferred or laid off, fired even. We probably see it most happen on social media right now. I mean, that is just a hotbed of tribal council action, isn't it? Someone says something that upsets someone... And it's like all of a sudden, someone starts beating the drums, rallying people around something. And before you long, someone is being publicly humiliated or exposed for some wrongdoing they've done. I mean, often just mercilessly. What's what's been your experience of tribal council? culture. You ever been in tribal council (laughs) of your own version where everyone is pointing fingers at someone determined to make someone pay for something they've done? Have you experienced much of that? You know, I read an essay recently by a guy named Charles Eisenstein. He's Yale-educated popular author and writer. It was all about this human gravitational pull toward what I call tribal council culture. He called it mob culture. It was interesting as he was pointing out the, the deadly nature of this kind of culture. He concluded more serious than ecological or economic collapse in our society that we may be witnessing. We may be. Even more serious than the pandemic is the polarization and the fragmentation of civil society, greatest threat to humanity, the breakdown of community. He argues that this isn't a new trend. In fact, the experts have all seemed to agree that since prehistoric times, the greatest threat to human society has been the breakdown in cohesion. It seems as human species, we're so vulnerable to relational rivalry, vengeance, retaliatory, escalating cycles of retaliatory violence. Someone does something, someone says, oh yeah? And then that group says, oh yeah? And the escalation builds and builds. We've watched this more removed, different times in different cultures, warring nations, ethnic cleansing. We've watched it from a distance, but it just seems like it's, it's moved in, just in different ways. I mean, just even recently, it's only been the last couple of years, we're watching just like things break down in our kind of North American continent, continent. Hey? Anarchy breaking out as people frustrated by the way things are going begin to channel their anger and hostility, whether it's to a, an organization, to a, 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 a party, a political party, a people group. Sometimes it's just one individual that's in their crosshairs and they're like, we're taking that person out. Like, we see it in sports, right? The flames are struggling, man. It's like we are looking for someone to blame, aren't we? We're looking for whose head is going to roll. This summer, no big trades. We're going, okay. Is it the GM that's going? Someone's head better roll. That's often how it works. Head coach gets fired, typically. Company starts flailing a bit. Everyone's looking for someone to blame. Is it the CEO? Is it middle management? Where, where is it? Is it marketing? Who's at fault here? Let's take them down. But Eisenstein points out, this is, this is an age-old human instinct. It's called scapegoating. The name originates from Jewish culture, actually. If you've been around here a long time, you've heard us use this term. It, it's, it surrounds a Jewish ritual um, during Yom Kippur, where a, a community would choose a goat. This goes way back. An annual ritual, they take this goat, they tie it like a red ribbon on the goat. And that red ribbon kind of represents all the collective wrong that each of the individuals who were a part of that community had committed that year. Like everything they had done possibly they could think of. That ribbon would represent all their collective wrong. They'd put it on the goat and then they'd sacrifice the goat. Some versions, they just let it wander out into the wilderness knowing wild animals would take that thing out. Sometimes it was a, just a ritual killing. They'd kill it right there. And, you know, it was weird what would happen when they did it. You know, it was like this, this goat was atoning the collective wrong. It was taking the hit for everyone else. And in the process, it kind of alleviated the personal shame or guilt that people felt kind of renewed a sense of peace in the community. It's like a start over. Essentially, that's what scapegoating is. Only rather than a goat, it's just, it's a person or it's a group of people. It's a political party. You you pick it, like anyone, anything can be the scapegoat. It's just whoever you decide should take the hit. Feud between parties begins to threaten the community, destroy the community. Sure enough, spontaneous kind of irrational mob violence starts to erupt. People getting so angry. This is not right. It was them. No, it was them. All of a sudden, it's like society organizes in the middle of all that violence, and everything kind of goes, that person or that group, they're the problem. If you look through back throughout history, scapegoating is everywhere. Every culture has been hit by this thing. There needs to be a certain level of chaos for this thing to really get steam. There needs to be hardship. There needs to be the sense that life is not well. Often in out of stress, we start looking for something, someone to blame. Hey, we saw it with Moses. He gets, the, he gets the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, they've been enslaved for years. They get out. They're now in the wilderness. They should be happy. But no, now they're, they're trying to just find food. They're, trying to, they're thirsty. They're like freaking out. They're going, at least we had food in Egypt. And all of a sudden, the mob begins to grow. They turn on Moses. And they go, he did this to us. Moses is starting to panic, looking at God, going, Throw me a bone here. I'm just doing what you told me. They're getting angry. It happened to Jesus, tensions running between the Jewish people and the Romans. It was a hitting boiling point. Jews were reacting and retaliating against the Romans, so tired of being enslaved by them. In the middle of it all, what happens? The religious community says, I think this guy's our problem. Take him out. It hap- it's happened, but it happens. It happens in our relational circles. It happens when someone goes through the divorce, and now the ex is to blame for Everything. It happens when someone shares an opinion or it's when someone comes out of the closet. When someone begins to open up about a belief that they hold that isn't the popular belief. And all of a sudden, the hair on the back of the necks of everyone sitting around is going, wait a second, what? You're not... One of us. If they have fear around the kind of thing you're talking about. Uncertainty. Ooh. It can stir up the need for tribal counsel. Let's bring them all together. I'm worried about having this person around. Where have you experienced tribal council in your life? Have you ever voted someone off the island? Like, have you ever had kind of been in that position where you were able to kind of weigh in on whether the person stays or goes? when you were able to kind of make a case for why everyone should not want that person around or why they shouldn't believe the way that that person does? Have you ever been the one sitting in those meetings, spinning the story, make that person help everyone understand what a villain that person is? flip it around. Have you ever been the one on the hot seat? Where everyone's looking at you. Questioning you. Leveling accusations against you. Those are two very different experiences, aren't they? I like being the first. (laughs) I like being the one who's kind of able to talk about the other person to direct all the negative attention around the other. That feels much better. If I was really honest with you, I've probably most of my life been more in that camp, in that position than in the other, though I've had my moments on the hot seat. Admittedly, I have struck many tribal councils. You know, some messages, you know, as you get into it, you're just like going, hey, wait a second. I don't like what I'm talking about here. I want a different topic. (laughs) Many, many years ago, a, um, a co-worker of mine, he had an allegation brought against him. It wasn't anything illegal, but it definitely called into question his character. It was a lapse in judgment. And I was a part of a team, the board initiated tribal council. And I was one in that meeting, determined that he needed to go. So we ousted him I'm sure you can figure out I mean I've been part of church communities all my life this is a church community and this person just kind of got excommunicated gone it's embarrassing to say but it was like 10 or 11 years before I spoke to him again We were close friends. I remember the night we got together, actually. He and his wife and Kathy and I got together. I so badly just wanted to put this thing behind me. Because I kind of felt sick about it. I felt sick about the part I'd played. But that night he talked about the horror after being voted off the island. My heart was in my throat the whole night. All I could think of is how complicit I was in what that family had experienced. Wasn't that he did do something bad. It was just the way it all went down, that lynch mob. I mean, it was... It was calculated. It was cold. But you know, when you're in the middle of the chaos and when you're angry... When you're pissed off about something someone said or done, or you're freaked out that what they're doing is going to somehow affect you or your life or your family's life or whatever, it's easy to just be bent on getting the person. Isn't it true? It's like, make them pay. You care very little about the long-term consequences. You just know in your mind, getting them off the island will solve everything. Uh, one night, a bunch of... Uh, I, I play hockey. And we were playing hockey. One of the guys we were playing with was playing a little too aggressive. Hacked a guy, hurt him pretty bad. He freaked out, but play went on. Next thing you know, the next play, that guy came in hard, trying to level the score. Other team took exception. And all of a sudden, I mean, things escalated, where every time we're on the bench, we're just telling everyone, like, keep your head up, pal, like, this is getting ugly. The thing got so crazy, that we had to shut down the whole thing. Game was canceled. Just want everyone go home. The screaming, the yelling, the finger-pointing people, the guys are just pissed. These are guys that knew each other for years. So a bunch of the guys just went home, but some of us went out afterwards. And without kind of premeditating anything what formed was a tribal council around who was at fault we were on this high horse talking about who really was the real problem here and that night we collectively decided that there was one guy who really was the problem now it didn't help that the crew that were sitting here talking about him, this guy wasn't our favorite guy, right? He wasn't a fan favorite. It made it very easy for us over beer and wings to sit and point out everything that this guy had on his rap sheet over the years. Each of us took stories telling our story of when that guy, remember back when this happened, and oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The sad truth is that every one of us around that table had our own rap sheets. We all had a long list of felonies doing similar stuff. But you see, that doesn't matter in tribal council culture. You don't really care about everyone else's rap sheets. You care about that person's rap sheet. Tribal council, scapegoating culture never starts here. Uh, An angry mob dragged this woman right in front of Jesus one day. They said they caught her red-handed committing adultery. I don't know how that all went down, but they're looking at Jesus. They're going, so the law says that we get to stone her. Based on her committing adultery. What do you think? Jesus looked at him and finally said, great. That's what the law says. Let's do it. So he who is without a sin, he who has a clean rap sheet can go first. Let's go. They didn't see that coming. They didn't. Because that's not the pattern in scapegoating. You don't start here and then go out there. No, you start there. And hopefully it just stays there. To be clear, I don't think Jesus was saying that no one should be held accountable for their actions, their hurtful actions. Because let's face it, no one's perfect. I don't think he was saying that. I think he was saying if we begin to build a precedent where all the focus is on fault finding of others. And very little acknowledgement is made of our own complicity. Society will unravel very quickly. Rarely can anyone stand on the moral high ground, rarely. I sometimes wonder if Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, don't we all have a little blood on our hands here? There's one more kind of ingredient of tribal council that I I think was worth mentioning. And I'll just tell a little story to illustrate it. But it was a spring evening of 1989. A group of teenagers were rolling through Central Park up to no good. In fact, they were harassing homeless people, hurting them. Exact same night, a white woman, 28 years old, Trisha Maley, had been out jogging through Central Park. And she was found beaten, raped, ended up being in a coma for 12 days. This case gripped New York City, the case of this Central Park jogger. The city was infuriated. So the police went out and they picked up five black and Hispanic boys aged 14 to 16. They became known as the Central Park Five. This is a few of them. Boys were interrogated for at least seven hours without their parents before four made videotaped confessions, four of them, to detectives. They admitted that they had touched, they had restrained Maley while well, one of them had assaulted her. When the news broke of the arrest, there was this collective sigh of relief in the, in the city. They'd caught the culprits. There was a prominent New York property mogul, don't need to name his name, who was convinced these teens were guilty. He spent a reported $85,000 on four full page adverts in New York. Titled "Bring Back the Death Penalty," bring back our police. They were questioning him. They were interviewing him about this campaign that he was doing. They're saying, "But you don't know these kids' stories." You don't. This is what he says. I, I want to hate these murderers, and I always will. I am not looking. To psychoanalyze. I'm not looking to understand them. I'm looking to punish them. This is the heartbeat of scapegoat culture. I don't care. They are murderers, they are monsters. I want to hate them. Side note, None of their DNA matched the semen and the woman. They ended up being innocent. They did hard time, six to 13 years. Only later to be found innocent. S- very sad story. Biography done on it, you can watch the movie. It's amazing how effortless and how exciting tribal council culture can be when you allow yourself to believe that the accused, the scapegoat, is truly a monster when we allow ourselves to dehumanize whoever it is. We stop calling them by their first names. We, start, we stop referring to them in human sense. We, we choose labels that have an emotion behind them. Labels that I, I can't even talk about this morning. They can be so insidious. Some are more innocuous, but they have intentions. And I see people, you know, referring to them. Oh, they're just a redneck. Or they're just a lefty, right-wingers, evangelicals, pro-vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. I bet we could take turns this morning coming up with all kinds of different labels that we're watching being thrown around in this day and age. People that we've got to hate on for or people that we're just convinced need to be silenced or fixed or removed, which leads me to a commandment. It's uh, the ninth commandment. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. I'll be honest with you. Of all the 10 commandments, this is one that I, th- I thought was absolutely irrelevant to my life. I've never really thought much about this commandment. I mean, how many times am I going to be in court having to testify against my neighbor? That just don't happen. So I'm like, good, thanks. But back in Jewish culture, if you realize where this came out of, if someone was upset with someone or something someone did, if they believed that someone was the cause of someone else's hardship, they would bring a charge, an allegation against that person before kind of a religious court system, a prosecution. It was like a spiritual tribal council. And the judges were actually the religious rulers. Did you know that Moses, after kind of getting them out of Egypt, he then went on to play role of judge? He would sit all day and listen to people as they would come in and they would air out their dirty laundry. But you see, the thing is, they couldn't come in and bring up their situation unless they had two or three sworn witnesses. You know what was going on, right? Someone had a mat on for them, so then they start talking with their family. They say, will you come in? Yeah. So what ends up happening? I got a problem. And I want to invite my daughter and my neighbor, and they're going to speak to this thing. But what ended up happening was this, the way the stories were told weren't always that accurate. Certain details got left out by the witnesses, certain things got exaggerated, sealing the fate of the accused. So the commandment arises saying, This is a problem. Can't be doing that. Exact same thing. What happened then is what my ball hockey guys and I did that night in deciding, hmm, this guy's got to go. You know, that night, we decided that this one guy who had been playing with us for years was done. He hasn't played with us since. I was just thinking about that this week. I'm thinking about all the different tribal councils that I've been a part of, that it was just like one stroke of a pen. It's like, bye-bye. I look at this commandment in a new way right now. Collectively making the decision that if we can just get this person voted off the island, that whatever way we cook the story, we, we, we create the narrative, we, we get creative in, in, in making this case against this person. In the end, if it brings a peaceful result, the ugly means justify the end. Yes, we all got a rap sheet. Yes, we all got blood on our hands. But you know what? They're worse. Get them out of here. If you're to ask me, I think this commandment was designed to stamp this kind of thing out. To end this form of tribal scapegoating, this culture that threatens to destroy community. I think in that early Jewish community, they recognized though there may be quick and easy, efficient ways to alleviate chaos, to remove the thorn in your side. It hurts people deeply. It's a temporary fix. You know what's really ironic? Is that story I told you about my ball hockey guys, that happened years and years ago. Since that time, it's happened again. But at some point you realize we can't keep voting people off the island. There's something wrong with that picture. I think that early Jewish community realizes something deeply, f- something gets deeply fractured in our relational worlds when we can justify the blood on our own hands and the little white lies that we'll tell, the distorted half-truths to make someone look worse than they are. to make sure someone takes the fall rather than us. Let me ask you something. Is there anyone that you've been wanting to drag into tribal council lately? Is there someone you're just wanting to push away, to dismiss, to discredit? Is there someone you need silenced? Maybe it's someone you don't even know. You just know of. Or maybe it's a, it's a group. It's a party. It's an organization. And it just seems so black and white in your mind. They are monsters. That person deserves something very nasty. Maybe you're in council right now. You've been tweeting. You've been chatting it up. You've been having behind-the-scenes conversations. Rallying support for your way of seeing things. Getting ready for a hit. I would offer up a little warning. I think the ninth commandment and spiritual wisdom would, would offer a very sober warning. This Will take out our communities. Some of us have this happening in our own families right now, and right now it's it's just—it's just—it's just a piss off, and we don't realize maybe the bigger ramifications behind it. And I would just say, please, please, tread softly in this area. Start here. Don't start there. Start here. And look, look at any blood on your hands before you start pointing out. Be careful, extremely careful, how you treat the facts. facts. How you tell the stories and the narratives you use. Which details get left on the table and which ones get cloaked. Be careful how attached you become to the, the outcome of having someone removed or punished. Ease up. Ask yourself, why do I need that so bad? Because I'll tell you right now, that person likely is not a monster. Very few qualify, very few qualify for that title. And whatever titles we like to use. It's interesting how that commandment is worded. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Neighbor is a tricky term. If, if we were talking about enemies, that's much easier, isn't it? But neighbor? Jesus says it all hangs on how you treat your neighbor. This is all Neighbor stuff I'm talking about today. These are our neighbors. Maybe, maybe this morning as I'm talking about this, you experience maybe just a little PTSD because it's not that you're the one dragging others. You, you just, you're the one that was dragged in. Maybe you're still living the, the fallout of having been voted off the island. I just, I just, uh, I just feel sick about that. Because uh, I've been guilty of creating that kind of mess for many. I don't want to be doing that. For any of you out there that are like me who have had more more experience son. from the power side, power side of that equation. I just, I would ask you to consider a new way. Just turn it inward. Let's be careful. Let's avoid the tribal councils if we can help it, eh? Yeah. I don't know what's going through your heart right now whether there is someone that comes to mind. Maybe maybe it just starts today by just saying, man, can I just ease up? Can I just stop fixating? Or the next time that topic comes up or that person or that people group or that whatever, how about if I just deflect the conversation? How about if I just don't feed it? I don't know what your strategy is this week, but we but may we all avoid as much as possible the tribal councils. That's my prayer for you. All right. That's your assignment for this week. Stay out of, the, stay out of council. All right, next week we've got another, ten, we, another one of the Ten Commandments coming up. Vince will be back. I really hope you guys have one of those weeks where we just build up community rather than tear it down. Let's do that. As Alita pointed out, we got the Hamper campaign on full steam. So please, if you haven't been a part of that, we need all hands on deck to meet every one of these needs of these 20 families we're supporting. And um, once those cards are gone out back there, trust me, there's many more. You can go online, friendschurchca forward slash hampers. There's a master list you can get on, sign up. It's really easy. Bring back everything on November 30th. December 5th, we wrap all together in the social hall and deliver. It's going to be great. Okay, that's all I got. Thanks for coming out this morning. All right? I I hope you do something with what we talked about.